Welcome to the Teacher As Podcast. I'm your host, Melissa Milner, a teacher who is painfully curious and very easily inspired. This podcast is ever-changing, and I hope with each season, you find episodes that speak to you in your work as an educator. This is the fourth season of the Teacher As, and it's exciting to see the growth in how many educators are listening. Episodes are released every other week. If you enjoy the Teacher As, please rate it on Apple Podcasts and leave a review. It helps the podcast reach more educators. Thanks for listening. In my 30 plus years of teaching, five of those years were at an amazing Jewish day school, uh, Cohen Hillel Academy. It's now called something else, and Aviva will talk about that. But um, at that school, I had a student, Aviva Summers. Like many of my students, I've kept in touch with them uh, through Facebook. And when I saw that Aviva Summers was teaching, and not only was she teaching, she was teaching at the same Jewish day school that she went to and that her mother taught at. I just felt it might be really cool to kind of do, you know, zooming in on Jewish day schools, um, the difference between public and private, zooming in on, you know, what do you learn at a Jewish day school? I just think it's a really cool topic. So that's what this is about. Really proud of Aviva, and she's clearly doing some great work. In our chatting, I did forget to ask her for her contact information for the listeners. So I do have her contact information if you're interested in getting in touch with her. It will be on the episode 70 page of theteacheras.com. I'm Aviva Summers. I'm an early childhood uh, teacher at Epstein Hillel School in Marblehead, Massachusetts. I am also a furniture historian, a soccer podcaster, uh, and the social media director for Atlantis Spurs, the Atlantis Supporters Group of Tottenham Hotspur. Atlantis Spurs? It's Atlantis Spurs. So the team in England is called Tottenham Hotspur, and the nickname is just the Spurs. And so I used to live in Atlanta, and I'm still the social media director for the Atlantis Spurs Supporters Group, like the official group of the supporters in Atlanta. Okay, I know the answer to this, but how did you get into anything related to England? Oh, England. Oh, because my dad, <laughs> my dad is from London, and I was actually just there in the summer. Uh, my family's there, and I support the soccer team that his family supports. And um, my parents were introduced because he had a friend from England who sent his kids to the school my mother taught at, which is the school that I taught at and the school that you taught at. So... I kind of owe my life to this. Like my brother's named after a former head of school at that school who hired my mother. <laughs> so I kind of owe my life to that school that I work at right now. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for that. School, so. Nice. So we're talking about a Jewish day school. When you were going through that school, what did you love about it? Well, of course, Melissa Fleischman. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> No, what about the school compared to if you had gone to a regular public school? I mean, that's the interesting thing. And for those who don't know, Melissa was my teacher and was my fifth grade teacher. I I don't think you've mentioned that, but you were my fifth grade teacher. You were my drama teacher, my director extraordinaire. (laughs) It's interesting. I don't really, I've only ever been in day schools. Um, Even for high school, I went to a Jewish high school. Oh, okay. Um, so, So really, it was only once I did a practicum for my master's in a school in Jamaica Plain that I kind of realized, wow, this is public school. And not to say that all public schools are the same, but, you know, it it gave me an an inside look into like truly the differences between private and public. Um, And I think the biggest one was size. I I flourished in small class sizes with more one-on-one teaching 
And it just seems like that's like, so that's an oxymoron in public school. Um, my eighth grade graduating class is 18 kids. Yeah. <laughs> and if you tell it to a public school, they're just like 18, what? Like just including me, 18. Um, so I think size is the biggest one. Size and um, just our whole thing about Hillel. Back then it was called Cohen Hillel when Melissa was a teacher and I was there. Is that it really felt like a family, community. Everyone knew each other. Um, and that's what I grew up, grew up loving. My mother was a teacher. And so I grew up, I know that's what the back of my hand. And you know, I just... I just love it. And I wanted to, and it's a thing that a lot of people don't think is that important is, is private education. There's a stigma that private schools are, everyone has money and everyone is smart and everyone is like, nothing, nothing happens. Um, but it could be farther from the truth. There are families with as many problems as anyone else with kids ha with as many issues, learning wise, socially, family, and the majority of people can, aff cannot afford to do it. You know, private schools have to give a lot of money and teachers make so much less at private schools than their contemporaries. I make with a master's degree, my contemporary in like New York city would be making more than twice what I do. Yeah. There's a lack of like respect for, you know, parochial schools, private schools, even if it's no religious affiliation, um, even if it's schools that just, just cater to having small class sizes or a philosophy. Um, we work, just as hard as public school teachers and we do it for usually much less money. So my, my, my job right now is truly a passion job. I'm not in it for the money. The money would be nice, but I know I'm not going to get it. <laughs> I know it's going to take some time to get it. You know, really administration is where the money is. Would you consider going to public school? Here's the, when I, here's the thing. When I was in my master's degree, it was when you start your master's program, it's assumed off the bat, you're going to do your licensure. I was at BU. We locked and um, so there's classes you take like ESL and all these other ones. And I'm thinking, I know I want to go into day school. I didn't know which one yet, but I was really passionate about day schools. And you don't need a license to work in private schools. When a private school is formed, they decide right then and there, do they want to require licensure? Once they decide yes or no, they can't discriminate whether you have it or not. So I decided I wanted to focus on the classes that were going to be relevant to me, like reading and math rather than ESL, which is not as pertinent in private schools, especially Jewish day schools. Ironically, I have to, I'm working with a Russian speaker right now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I just feel like I was so used to being in a small class settings with especially Jewish day schools with that environment, that culture, that eth the ethos that um, at the current time, I don't see myself going to public school just because I have friends who work in public school and they're so overworked. Their work life balance right now is not ideal. And I couldn't ask for a better work life balance at the moment. So we'll see. I, it might change. You know, like I said, I'm not making that much money, but I'm making enough right now to support myself. And that's all that matters. I know that when I was teaching there, there were three teachers for the grade level. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one teacher was doing math and science. One teacher was doing mm -hmm. Hebrew and yeah, yes, Jewish studies, Jewish studies. And then the other yeah. teacher was doing social science. Yeah. Um, so what are you teaching now? So I, it's funny. I was hot. I was hired. I didn't apply to work there. I was working at the time part time my last second to last semester at Maimonides early childhood and in, in, in at the time of the Newton, just part time. because I was only taking two classes my last semester. Um, and I called the current head of school at Epstein Hill, Amy Gold, because I was working on a paper and I wanted to pick her brain about uh, private school teacher retention and attrition. And she just said to me, 
Aviva, do you want to come work with Lori Armstrong? And I was like, now, I don't, know if, I don't know if you remember Lori Armstrong. Lori Armstrong was my first grade teacher at Hillel. And we called her Miss A. She left the year I, the year after I was with her because she had a baby. But she recently had come back. And I wrote my admissions essay to graduate school about Lori Armstrong. So I started off teaching there. They needed someone to cover. They had a first grade teacher going on maternity leave. So Lori was going to cover, the, was going to be the replacement teacher. I was going to be her assistant. The following half of the year, we had another person in kindergarten going maternity leave. So I switched to being the assistant in kindergarten. The following year, they needed someone to teach kindergarten in Hebrew alongside the current teacher there, Beth Tassinari. So last year I did K in first, Hebrew and Judaics. And this year, because that last year's first grade is so big this year in second grade, they need someone to help there. So right now I'm doing kindergarten in second grade, Hebrew and Judaics, which ironically, when my mother was hired, was also by chance. Her first job was teaching kindergarten Hebrew and Judaics after graduating from Wheelock, just like me. Oh, wow. Talk about Bashar, meant to be, yeah. Meant to be. There you go. I love, love, you're throwing a little bit of Yiddish there. Yes, of course. Um, <laughs> so, yes, yeah, so I'm doing that and I'm working with uh, several students in different grades who either are transfer students um, or who also need help with their Hebrew. So, we actually have one child, Nikita who um, arrived with his mother from Ukraine last year to the oh, North wow. Shore area. Yeah. His father's still in Ukraine. Um, and so he had, he has no Hebrew. Mm-hmm. And right now I'm not so much worried about him learning the Hebrew as keeping him happy and smiling and making sure this kid is, is doing well. So wow. my days are busy. Yeah. Yeah. So the Hebrew, do they still have the service every day where you go in and do the whole thing? The praying? Uh, they've been, it's been changing a little bit right now. They call it Zman Kodesh, which is, means like holy time. And they're trying to take, when, when I was there, Hillel was a Solomon Schechter affiliated school. So, which is the conservative Jewish movement. So we had a very certain way of davening, of praying with certain, you know, prayer books. It's a bit more, um, pluralistic, more sort of pluralistic. We have, um, a, a lot of our families are inter, uh, are, uh, interfaith families. Uh, actually I think probably the majority I'm, I'm don't quote me on that but um but because of that we have a lot of families who actually aren't members of synagogues i don't know if you remember but back at hillel in the day the one requirement of coming to hillel is that you had to be members of a synagogue yes that was to ensure that like what we're doing what you were teaching your kids in school is being supported or reinforced at home for many reasons um just the majority of our students aren't um, so we have reform, reconstructionist. We even have um, Chabad Orthodox students now and a separate track for them. And so it's not every day, but it's definitely um, still very, very um, present in our in our schedules. Yeah. So when you're teaching Hebrew, mm-hmm. you're, you're teaching to students that are just acquiring their own English. They're young, young students. Yeah. Right. So yeah. are you you know, when you, when they're walking in for, for when it's time to learn Hebrew, yeah. are you speaking English at all? Do you do full immersion? Like what style of teaching do you do for that with lots of visuals and all that kind of thing? I mean, so I, before I was working here, when I was still in Atlanta, I was working for my mother at the school. She was the principal ever at the time, the director of, which is now called Atlanta Jewish Academy or Greenfield. It was before that was Greenfield Teacher Academy in Atlanta, Georgia. And their model was full immersion starting in the four-year-old classes. They actually went from infancy to eighth grade. Now they've merged in, with the high school. Now they're infancy to 12th grade. But how it would work is 
starting, actually, no, I'm sorry, starting in the three-year-old class, it was full immersion. You had one teacher that spoke only Hebrew, one spoke only English. When I worked, I was in the two-year-old class, and because two-year-olds are still learning English, I was the Hebrew-speaking teacher, but I only spoke at like 50 to 75% of the time. Okay. And but the, but the fascinating thing is, by the end of the year, these young children are are comprehending Hebrew like this. They might they might not speak it just yet, the two-year-olds, but they know if I give them a direction in Hebrew, they know what it means. Because I know they say before the age of seven, you learn a second language in the same part of your brain as your native language. So when I came into Hillel and I started working with Beth Tassinari, who herself is actually also an alumni of the school back from like way back, she and I both have kind of a very similar style. And I said to her, like, we need to speak more Hebrew. And we speak it a lot more than we did um, because I think it's because these kids will pick it up. So we, we can tell them even now it's only the third week of school. We can tell them um, to put their chair or bring their chair to the carpet in Hebrew and they'll know what that means. Yeah, I'm sure they know they know can and low, right? Ken and Lo, of course, Ken and Lo, Abba and Ima. We have a lot of visuals. We, you know, we're working on our Hebrew letters and the vocab that goes with it. To the listeners, what does Ken and Lo mean? Ken means yes in Hebrew. Lo means uh, no. So, so they learn that real fast. They learn it real fast. <laughs> they learn the word bathroom in Hebrew very quickly. Um, like in, when we, I was we were working in first grade, you couldn't go to the bathroom unless you asked to go in Hebrew during Hebrew class. You know, you put put up these expectations, these these bars to hit to meet, and kids these kids will reach them. Um, so, but kindergarten we go very slow. It's more about the the letter recognition right now. We don't even worry about them speaking. So it's different than the old school is that, but we're still you know same common goal with Hebrew in mind. So again, for the listeners, if you're not familiar with what Hebrew looks like, it does not look like English. <laughs> it also does not. The you know concept of print, for example, Hebrew goes from right to left. So a lot of these kids, when they're writing their Hebrew names on the first day, you know we have it on their desk next to their English name. Either they write it left to right, like starting on the left side of the page, or when they're writing on the right, they'll write it from le- they'll write their name left to right, starting on the right. So it's very might think it's confusing, but like I said, these kids they they can pick it up. You just keep doing it. So. Yeah. Um, and it's wonderful. They love it. We do. We it's much more interactive than it was when I was there. We have a smart board now. We have iPads. We have we don't use them all the time. It's only to usually for like final reviews. We play a game or otherwise it's still worksheet and coloring and projects and songs. And it's more important for them to, as my, my mother would say, live Hebrew, experience Hebrew, and they'll learn to read later in the fa- later grades. It's not important right now. They just need to experience it. That sounds just like her. <laughs> wow. So when you were learning Hebrew, so did your parent, did did your mom speak it in the home a lot? No. Okay. So you were learning it with everybody else in your class, right? Yeah. And and that's not to say that my mother liked the way they taught Hebrew at the school that she was, the, you know, she hired mostly teachers because it changes. Everyone has a different style. In fact, I was looking through um materials in our collection of like Hebrew teaching materials and I found a bunch of stuff my mother made like has her name on it and stuff (laughs) so I could see how she used to do it I'm actually teaching in the last two and a half years I've taught including this year over 30 students whose parents my mother taught which is just for me amazing full circle full circle Lador Vador which means from generation to generation when you were learning Hebrew you were you were learning English and Hebrew at the same time yeah okay um, yeah, but the interesting thing, what Beth and I do now, because right now we do 
our English curriculum in lower school is foundations, which is like, you know, be ball, buh, you know, that kind of stuff. So what, what Beth came up with is we do this, even though I'm, everyone has their own styles, her ways, she wanted to teach it kind of parallel to how they're learning their English. So we have a chart, so it's bet. So for example, the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet is called bet. So that's bet, ball, buh. I remember sitting in like first grade and just having three letter combinations of the same three letters and just reading different combinations of it over and over and over again in the book. That's not how we do it now. Um, so very different, very different approach now. A lot of repetition, like over and over. Yeah, yeah. but it's also a, a stylistic difference and a generational difference in teaching, I think. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. When you went to high school, did you go to GAN? No. So I, we, I got into GAN. I was going to go to GAN. Um, my brother went to GAN. But no, uh, we moved to Atlanta after oh, that, eighth grade. Oh, okay. So I went to a school called the Weber School, which is like the GAN equivalent in Atlanta, the Jewish high school in Atlanta. And you go to college. Did you feel 100% prepared when you got to college? Did you learn everything you needed to learn, even though you had been going through private school and not a public school? Like, let's like give props to the private school, right? Yeah, props to private school. I wasn't ready. I went on a gap year first. I went on a gap year to Israel first. And in, in, that experience made me realize, had I gone straight to high school, college, I wouldn't have been ready. Just ma- like m- maturity-wise, not in terms of like, I'm like, was immature, but just life, just like, if something happens, not like freaking out and not being able to fix it. Because everything wrong that could have happened in Israel did. Broke my phone, broke my <laughs> broke my computer, got lice twice, got the flu. And mom and dad weren't oh, around. Yeah. You have to figure yeah. it out. I, I, so once I got to college, I felt ready. And even though I was always in a private school, I really enjoyed, I went to Binghamton University, which is in upstate New York. Even though it's a public university, when I went, it was maybe around like, I'm not quite sure. It's not like giant, but I did try to find my people. And I ended up becoming friends with people who also went to day schools. And it wasn't like a thing we were trying to be clicky, but we had a lot in common in a large area i think you try to find people who you can you can find commonalities with and so a lot of the time the jewish students we just like <laughs> would always have lunch together again this wasn't a clicking thing but we just it was something we could we knew right off the bat we had in common and that's not to say i didn't have friends who weren't jewish i did and it was actually the first time i had friends of different ethnicities was when i was in college and that's not because i didn't have the opportunity at private school but the North Shore, as you, you'll remember, Melissa, is very, and not in a bad way, it's just very bubbly. It's a Jewish middle-class bubble, and it, which is ironic because, like, I grew up, you have Marblehead and Swamscott on the North Shore of Massachusetts, and then right next to us is Lynn. And Lynn is like a melting pot, and yet everything north of it isn't. But the great thing about um, Hillel is that because it's private, we have people who come from all over. We have, right, you know, we have people from Wakefield and Lynn. And um, at one point we had people from Brighton and we have people from Salem and Peabody and Beverly. And now what was that, Hamilton? It is great. I mean, and we also have diversity in the students. We have people who are, who are we have students who are black. We have students who identify um, as gender, of uh, as gender neutral we have people who are you know identify as queer and it's it's definitely progressed in terms of the social um landscape and and the gender landscape of of the school compared to what we were yeah so i know it's been 15 years since i taught there 
And I, I just like, I think it must be so different now. Cause I mean, 15 years, even at my school where I'm at now, it's, it's so different. So I can't imagine that small little school, like how much, you know, you get a whole new batch of teachers in there, younger teachers with new ideas. And it's just fascinating. Not a lot of super young teachers. Like when my mother, my mother, when she started working there, it was like this whole generation of, of, of children of Holocaust survivors who went to like day camp in the sixties and seventies and like wanted to do this. And they all got, they all got hired in mass and they all built curriculum together. And that is the generation in Jewish education in America. They are the backbone of current Jewish education in America, in my opinion, is, is, was built on the backs of these teachers in the 1980s um, and late seventies who grew up in, in Jewish American life on the backs of, of immigrant families and Holocaust surviving families. And it's just a different landscape right now. A lot of people my age don't want to go into day schools because there's just no money. I'm kind of a unicorn in that respect. Yeah. But despite that, there's still a lot of dedicated teachers who love what they do and stay on. I mean, Tali Bloom, Rifka Perry have been there almost 40 years. And it's just, it's amazing to see this commitment, which is inspiring to me as a young one, young teacher starting out. But yeah, you should come visit. Our school plays are giant productions. As of last year, we have a new teacher in eighth grade who's also there. I think they they got Marblehead, um, the Marblehead Theater, Children's Little Theater, whatever it's called, Playhouse. As for this coming year, we're going to Denver on the Roof. Last year it was um, Joseph's Technicolor Dreamcoat with like a whole production with lights up and like bigger than whatever we did. Um, though I I loved what we did though. To be fair, we did mini lights and a mini sound system. See the USA oh Chevrolet. Oh my god! Your guys asking you to call. I fractured my wrist on opening night. Oh, I forgot about that. I did return as dinosaur. Oh my gosh, that was like with the fifties yeah, review. I, we did like I love Lucy. That was that was so, and we did Sid Caesar. This is your yes, life. And the honeymooners. The honeymoon. Chiquita banana. Uh, <laughs> Gabby Dinkin oh, with Chiquita Gabby. Banana. I, I have, oh, we, and then we did Romeo and Harriet. Oh, right. I mean, oh my gosh, I, I was Harriet. about that. Yeah, you were. I mean, I have so, because of you, Melissa, like, I have so many memories of just like, I was like, I guess ceremonial, ceremonially like the president of the drama club, even though that wasn't a thing. That's right. Oh my gosh. Can we talk a little about the Judaic studies when you're with those young, young, young kids? What are you, what are you teaching them? Zooming in. I mean, again, it, it's not about the deep, dark, you know, history of, of Jewish history. We're really working on the tangible things for them. So we're, it's actually it's funny. We're coming up to this next week is the start of our busy season of holidays where we just have like holidays every single week. So the great thing about, you know, the Jewish calendar is we have so many wonderful holidays that are vibrant and have stories that go go with them and customs that go with them, and food that you eat, and things that you sing. And so for young children in early education, it's, it's, it's just a match made in heaven. We have a curriculum, like naturally already there for us. It's just how do we present it to them? So Rosh Hashanah, which is the Jewish New Year, is next week. So we have, you know, we have the apples and honey, and we, they learn the words for apple and honey in Hebrew. And we talk about the shofar, the ram's horn that's blown, and the symbolism behind that. They can, and they, they hear it every morning. And all these things. We do Shabbat every Friday. We have a, a Kabbalah Shabbat, which is a, a, an all-school gathering where we talk about the week that we just had and we say the blessing over the bread and the wine and the candles. Um, so we really make it 
firsthand experience for them, which for young children is the best thing. Because like I said, it's all about living it. Because a lot of these kids, unlike when I was there, um, a lot of these majority of these children aren't doing this at home. I grew up having it at home right after school every night, celebrating it and keeping Shabbat. A lot of these kids, whether they come from multi-faith families or non-observant families, this is the only place they're going to get it. So we have to make it stick and make it matter. So I get to be creative. We do puppets. We we have fun. We sing songs. I bring my guitar out. We dance. Um, and then as you get older, we start to have more discussions about things, about the stories behind these holidays, the characters, the lessons, the morals, all that. It goes as deep as talking in the, in the upper school about, about you know, the Jewish exile and the Holocaust and and Jewish life in America. And it, it just progresses. But right now, we're just planting the seeds for them wanting to learn more about their Jewish heritage. Well, that is amazing. And it's so good to see you. This is so good seeing you, Melissa. For my blog, transcripts of this episode, and links to any resources mentioned, visit my website at www.theteacheras.com. You can reach me on Twitter and Instagram at Melissa B. Milner. And I hope you check out the Teacher As Facebook page for episode updates. Thanks for listening. And that's a wrap.